Well, good morning. I'm Phil Malding, the pastor of Congregational Life and Marriage Ministry here at Bethany. It's my honor to share from God's Word with you this morning. Our senior pastor, Richard Dahlstrom, is up in British Columbia teaching at a torchbearer's school up there, and he'll be back with us soon. Uh, just want to take a quick survey here this morning. How many of you uh, have ever had a relationship problem? Anybody? Anybody in this room? Good. The rest of you didn't raise your hands. You're either denying the truth or need therapy. Um, <laughs> this book is about relationships, and it applies to all of us, and our faith should have a bearing uh, on our relationships and who we are. And so we're going to take a look at that. As, as Nancy mentioned, we're in this series, Summer Short, Small Books with Big Messages. And certainly this little book of Philemon has a, a big message. Uh, it's there in your New Testament. If you're not familiar where to find that, uh, Timothy, Titus, then Philemon. If you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far back up a little bit. So you can open your uh, Pew Bible, Bible you brought with you, your favorite Bible app and follow along. Nice thing about a book this size is Nancy's basically read the whole book to us, so that's good. <laughs> I want to give you a little background on Philemon, the book of Philemon. Uh, it's a letter written by Paul, why he's in prison in Rome. He's writing it uh, to a very well-to-do friend of his who lives in the town of Colossus. Uh, Colossa. Am I saying that right? I'm just going blank here. Yes, I'm good. Um, Colossa, and uh, from which we get the book of Colossians. So Paul will write another letter to uh, the church there. And he's writing about Philemon's slave, Onesimus, who, as we sort of can piece this together, it looks like he's probably stolen something or damaged something. He's incurred some sort of debt. He's ran away. He uh, then somewhere along the line comes to Christ and ends up meeting Paul and has been serving Paul. And now he's ready to return home, and Paul is uh, sort of wanting to smooth things out on a, uh, for his return home. Uh, have you ever had uh, two good friends who were in a relationship problem or conflict? Maybe it's even two siblings or sibling and parent or two parents or coworkers, and you care deeply about these two people and yet they're not getting along or there's some sort of rift between them. And so then the dilemma is, how do I broker a deal between them? How do I get them back together? Do I get involved, not get involved? That's sort of the dilemma that Paul finds himself in, uh, that he's dealing with, and we're gonna see his response here. But it also might be good uh, to put ourselves uh, in the role of Philemon uh, we can identify with his position. Sometimes there are people who have done us wrong or our rights have been violated in some way. And what do we do with that? How do we restore somebody who has broken trust? Obviously, there could be a really good argument here on Anismus's part that Philemon has wronged him as well. That's a different sermon. Uh, but this book is written specifically to Philemon, so that's how we're going to look at it. So the first seven verses that you missed basically are Paul um, praising Heap on Philemon, praying for him, greeting him, calling him brother. And then in 8 and 9 here, he says, uh, I have something to ask of you. He hasn't told him what it is yet, but he says, I could order you to do it as an apostle. apostle. Did you, uh, 
you would then do it out of obedience, out of your duty, but I don't want that. I want you to do this out of your heart of love. Basically, this is a little bit like uh, in the family I grew up in and, um, and in my own family with my children, we had this little thing, and you, you might do this in your family too, like kids have a little quarrel, and what do you do? Say, apologize to your brother, your sister, say you're sorry, I forgive you, forgive them, right? And then maybe we make them hug each other, right? And they kind of, when they're little, they kind of do it, and then they're their buddies again. But, like, the older they get, it's like, sorry. And it's like, fine. Like, just, I'm done. I'm out, right? Paul doesn't want that. He wants it out of a heart of love. And as a parent, you know, when you saw your, parent, your kids reconcile on their own or really do it out of a heart of repentance and forgive one another, man, that is like sweet moments as a parent, right? That's what Paul's hoping for here. And um, so this is what's going on. And uh, Paul even is sort of starts to build this case that, hey, I'm a prisoner. That's sort of a, a not a great title to have, but I'm a prisoner. Paul's kind of proud of it. He's a prisoner for, for Christ. And then he, he talks about, he calls uh, Philemon brother. And now he calls Onesimus my son finally names Onesimus. Now Philemon finally knows what this letter is all about. And there's this close tie. He's been my, my son to me almost, right? And uh, Paul makes then a really clever play with the words here in verse 11. And what you need to know is that Onesimus means useful. Useful. And so in verse 11... He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Paul affirms his worth, calls him useful. Onesimus was a slave, and certainly in that culture would have been seen as less than. And I would suggest that if we're honest with ourselves, we often see other people as less than, that we're quick to judge them, seems to be part of our human nature. Maybe we don't use that phrase out loud and say, oh, they're useless. But in our heart, when we judge them, that's kind of what we do, isn't it? Maybe it's somebody we don't respect their views, someone who's more conservative thinking than we are, someone who's more liberal thinking than we are, someone who is intolerant, someone who lacks education, or it's the job they do and we don't respect it, or maybe it's the lack of the job that they should do that they're not doing that we don't respect. Maybe it's their nationality or their citizenship or their lack of housing or the fact that they're an immigrant or a welfare mom or a person on disability. Maybe it's their sexual orientation, snap judgments, and we say, you're less than, or at least less than me. Maybe we make them useless because they've committed some sort of crime against us or the world. They're a felon. They're an addict. They're a thief. But let me make this a little more personal. Let me let you into a little about a judgment in my own heart, a little 
blackness in my own soul. For many years, it was a people group that I hated. And I believe because of their offense, they deserved the death penalty. And if it meant I had to help carry it out, I would have gladly done that. Now, that's not really in alignment with the heart of Jesus, right? I mean, a Christ follower probably shouldn't have that attitude. Seems that Jesus didn't think that either. So he started working on my heart. He started arranging things so that I would have to face my own brokenness and see their brokenness. That's sex offenders, particularly those that abuse children. Because that's part of my own story and the story of people I love and care for deeply that are close to me. And I've seen the destruction that causes. And yet, as a therapist and as a pastor, I sit with lots of people, lots of different people. And one of the big themes is sort of the destruction that sin causes in our life, the, the choices um, that we make, the choices that others make. And in that, I have sat face-to-face, one-on-one, with men and women who are pedophiles and Christians. It hasn't been easy. It's been hard. But in that, I hear their own stories of brokenness. The dysfunction there is real for sure. And do I care about victims? Oh, absolutely. Do I want to stand with them and help them and see them recover? Absolutely. And yet Christ has also called me in moments to be his face to these that have this as part of their story. And to even say to them, you know you're forgiven and that Christ loves you and values you. That's hard. That's real hard at times. And yet I would never, ever be able to do that on my own. It is because of the Holy Spirit, because of Christ in me, in those moments that I can do that. And I'm not here to tell you I get it perfect or, or that there aren't moments of struggle in my heart, but Jesus is transforming me and giving me the grace in those moments. And it's what he calls all of us to. Who do you know that seems useless, that seems beyond redemption, that doesn't seem to deserve forgiveness? I also want to mention there's, there's been one thing in my, I, I, I mean, it has been accepting Christ that has made the difference, and yet there is a renewing of your mind and your heart and your soul, and there has been a process that has really been transformational for me through this, because I had to get over my own hurts and habits and hang-ups, my own woundedness. I needed a process, and that process was spiritual journey. It was mentioned in the announcements. Class is going to start here at the end of August. I want to encourage you to sign up, but I have been able to offer that in congregations over the last 20 years, and literally thousands of people have gone through it. If you need a process to learn to forgive and to heal of your own stuff, 
to look at your own character, to look at who God is in your life, I want to encourage you to think of that as a process of healing. But who have you written off, made them less than human, or at least worthless, worthless? Get my tongue working here this morning. They gossiped about you. They didn't support you. Maybe they were unkind to you. They were selfish. They took advantage of your, your good nature. You know, we are so quick to be able to judge others. Scripture says, oh, it's, it's easy for you to see the speck in somebody else's eye and miss the log in your own. In the spring and summer, one of my Friday rituals usually is to go mow my lawn. And uh, this summer, I haven't had to do it a lot. Not a lot of rain. Um, but cars can cut through my neighborhood getting to main roads. And often, they just speed through. And I want to tell you, there are times when just like that, I'm just like, that idiot. Like, that is so unsafe and dangerous. And I can just, I'm just irritated beyond belief. But two or three days later, I can find myself racing home for something and go, wow, I'm speeding through my own neighborhood. <laughs> See, the Holy Spirit has a way of pointing out these things to us. It's easy to give ourselves a pass. In fact, it's been said about driving that anybody that drives slower than you is an idiot. Anybody who drives faster than you is a maniac, right? <laughs> like, our way is the right way and anybody else is wrong. I want to point out one other thing about verse 11 here. Onesimus had been useless, but now he's useful. Maybe you've been told that you're useless or that you can't be used of God. I want you to know that's a lie. It's a lie directly from the enemy to keep you on the bench, to keep you from doing all that God has for you to do. Don't listen to the liar. You are useful. You are valuable. Paul in verse 12 then calls Onesimus my very heart. He clearly loves Onesimus. Paul sees him differently. In fact, in that letter to Colossians, which Philemon would have heard read out loud at church, he says, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Even ground at the foot of the cross. We are all children of God. Paul's also acknowledging that Christ has changed Onesimus. That he's been redeemed. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus changes us. I know many of your testimonies of what a difference Christ has made when you came to faith. But also had the privilege and honor of seeing how Christ 
has continued to change you and shape you and make him more like you. And it's an honor to be your pastor and, and watch you grow and see what you do in the world. I, I wish you could hear all the stories. And they are little and they are huge things, but they are all important and that we are expressing the kingdom of God. I know that's who you are as a people. Paul then again in verse 14 wants to affirm, hey, I want you to do this voluntarily. I want you to do this out of love. Not because you have to. See, it's easy in church to have these rules and think these are the things I have to do because I'm a Christian. Not because I love God and what he has given me I want to share with others. That he is filling me so much it just overflows. It is different than I gotta, I gotta do it. It's a duty. Verse 15, one of my favorite verses in this passage says, Perhaps. Isn't that a great word? Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Paul's pastoral heart shows. He encourages Philemon to look at the situation and see what God might be up to. Where is God moving? Does God have a reason behind all this? A plan at work behind the challenges of the situation? Like sometimes we look for that too quickly and and yet, I think most of the time we don't look at this enough. Who does God want me to be in these circumstances? Maybe the circumstances can't change or won't change. But who am I called to be in this moment? What does God want me to learn in this situation? I believe Paul has this longing to see the kingdom expressed between these two brothers in Christ. A vision of reconciliation where status doesn't matter, where things can be different, where we and the other are the same and we can be more than we think, where justice and mercy and kindness and grace flow. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother, for he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Again, Paul drives home this idea that Onesimus is more than a title or status, but he's a human brother and he's a brother because of Christ. And both are important. Verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Treat him like you treat me. And when I, when I hear that, treat him like you would treat me, immediately my mind goes to Matthew 25. Where Jesus is talking about the separation of the sheep and the goats. And I come to him and say, Jesus, or Lord, when did we see you naked and hungry and not address it? When, when were you in prison? And the Lord replies, when you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Treat others like you would treat them. How would that change your day if the barista looked like Jesus? 
or your spouse or your boss or your coworkers or your roommates. It would make a difference, I assure you. It reflects the kingdom of God when we treat people that they matter, that they have value. The fact that they are children of God is enough. And often we need all that other garbage, which sometimes needs to be addressed, but we need that to fade away. We need to have eyes like Christ. And when we do that, and we can let that shed away, it's easy to stand for justice, for the weak, for the disempowered, for those that need us to come alongside. Let me tell you another story. When I was, uh, uh, for about 13 years, I was a Marriott manager. One of the ways we were always uh, part of our appraisal was safety in the unit and whether employees had accidents or not. And there sort of is this funny line, like, does that cut need a Band-Aid or a butterfly or does it need stitches? Because one's an accident. It's part of your review. It's part of your financial performance as a unit. And how much do I encourage that employee to go to the doctor or not? Or do I drive them right now or just see if they do it on their own? Right? And, I, and I got some sort of conflicting things from a couple different managers that I reported to. And this old sage Marriott manager came alongside me, a mentor to me, and he said, Phil, this is really easy. If this was Mary or the kids, what would you do? Man, that lens made it crystal clear. It made the decision easy. I know exactly what I would do. Paul is asking Philemon to have the same shift. To see someone as family because they are family. It's a great lens to use in life. How would I want my family to be treated? The text also challenges us who do I need to treat with greater respect, with greater kindness? Maybe that kindness looks like kindness and respect on Facebook and on my blog, even with people I disagree with. It may mean treating the waitstaff at the restaurant better or that cocky coworker who seems to know it all or that bureaucrat at that Agency where you really need help, but they're being less than helpful and they even seem bored. Or the gate attendant when they tell you your flight's been overbooked or delayed. Or maybe that person trying to give you a real change newspaper on your way into the grocery store or has a sign out at the freeway on ramp. Family who needs to be treated with love and respect and kindness. Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What did Jesus do in his final hours? He washed feet and then laid down his life 
paid a debt that wasn't his. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I mean, it's easy to say just love. It's hard to do in the moment. Paul then does an amazing thing here in verses 18 and 19, and he really models Jesus. He says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Put it on my tab. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Onesimus owes a debt. He's not going to have to pay it back. We owe a debt. We're not going to have to pay it back. But out of that should flow a heart of generosity to those around us. There's no price for Onesimus to pay. He's going to be welcomed home like the prodigal son. Let me throw a robe around you, a ring on your finger. Let me greet you. Let me throw a big old party and kill the fatted calf and have a big barbecue. It's outrageous love. Have you ever, have you ever broke something or made a mistake at work and you knew it was going to cost money? I mean, I was at some people's house once and I broke a plate. That was embarrassing. I, I felt horrible. And yet the host was so gracious with me. Like, have you ever been forgiven something like that? A, a debt paid off for you? Like, it is the best feeling in the world. When the officer says, Mr. Malding, this is just a warning today. <laughs> We're called to forgive, to step in and pay the cost for others, to be gracious in moments where it might be our right to be indignant and shake and wag our finger. I think Paul knows that, his, that Philemon's going to do the right thing. He knows his friend is going to forgive this debt. He certainly builds kind of a hard case, and there's these moments where he feels like he's twisting Philemon's arm a little bit, but then he doesn't want to. He's torn. He doesn't want to just broker a deal between these two friends. Again, he wants them to love one another and to do it out of a free heart. Philemon would have heard the words of Christ, as have we, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. That's radical love. Or in Matthew 18, Peter comes and asks Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Jesus says, not enough, 77 times. Radical forgiveness. Forgiveness beyond. Forgiveness that costs. We're called to be reconcilers in our world. It may be like Paul and we need to encourage people to do the right thing. It may be far more personal and we're Philemon's role and we need to forgive. We may need to change our paradigm about somebody, a people group, and say they're not worthless, they're not useless, but God has something for them. God can transform them. 
I may need to be light and salt here. I may need to stand in the gap and stand for those who can't stand up for themselves. But I'll do it with a heart of love. With grace. And not because I have to, but out of my own free will because of what Christ has done for me. It's a big ask. It's not easy to do. There are moments where we will struggle. But our call is to listen to the Holy Spirit prompting us and not harden our hearts in those moments or hold on to our rights or what's ours would be generous people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are the great reconciler, that you call us to be kind and compassionate to one another, to forgive each other, just as Christ forgave us. May we have eyes to see others the way you see them. May we see your children who you love. May you expose our own darkness, our own hurts and wounding, our own failures. Would we know that we are useful to you, though, and forgiven, and that you call us to be agents of justice in the world, to redeem people because you redeem them. Father, I ask that you would help us bring about your kingdom here. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.